Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Track and Field Performance Podcast. Today, my guest was world-class sprints coach, Steve Fudge. The title of this episode, Slow is Smooth and Smooth is Fast, is rooted in the priority that he has for when he's developing his sprinters from the very start of the training year. And that is, he wants to see smoothness and the development of this ability will enable them to have long-term success, not just that year, but I think allowing them to tap into their potential is rooted in technical competence. And he went through many of the ways in which he allows the athlete to do this, whether it's through the environment that he sets up to tease out rhythm and projection, whether it's to do with the angle that he starts them in, um, whether it's through the verbal cueing that he uses, Steve really went into detail about how smoothness can be developed and how it's critical to the athlete's performance. Steve also shared a great amount of detail about how he sets up his week with regards to not only the sprinting workouts, but how he pairs that with other components like S&C, restoration, and overall the kind of holistic setup that he's created at Fudge London Project um, that's enabled him to set up a world-class environment for sprint talent. So I think you're really going to enjoy how Steve went into detail about his philosophy as a coach Um, from all standpoints. He shared a great amount of detail that I think any sprint coach is going to be able to take something away and implement into their own training setup. So I'm very excited for you to hear it. And I won't delay any longer, but I'll just say thank you for the continued support and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Track and Field Performance Podcast. I'm very happy to be joined by today elite sprints coach, Steve Fudge. Steve, thanks for coming on. Good to be here, man. Hopefully we can uh, help the listeners with some knowledge. We definitely will. Um, but before we do that, I want to kind of, you know, allow you to give the listeners who don't know you, but I'd imagine many do, uh, a little bit about your background because you've been in the, I suppose, realm of world-class sprinting for quite some time now and in the last year you've had some very big performances by your group but yeah you've spent you spent some time in this realm so uh yeah for those listening maybe give us a little bit of a of a rundown of where it all started yeah um yeah look i i didn't come from track and field which is unusual i guess um growing up I grew up in Scotland in a small town in the Highlands, a uh, place called Fort William. Um, you know, mostly focused on playing rugby and football and, and all that sort of stuff. And then headed off to do a sports science degree with sort of intentions of, you know, working in professional rugby, I guess, and, and doing the old S&C thing. And I think I did my studies and then I headed off to do some internships I wanted to get out and see what coaching was you know like I was I like the academic stuff but I wasn't really aligned to it you know I'm very much like learn by doing so I headed off to yeah did this sort of like tour I went to Seattle and worked at the University of Washington as an SSC intern then I went to Adelaide in Australia did that at the Australian Institute of Sport the South Australian Institute of Sport um, and then I did I went to Brisbane and I did an internship there at the um, Queensland Reds. Um, and then 
we well the uk got the 2012 olympics so then they put on some sort of they realized there was a a need for um skip you know upskilling practitioners so they put on a thing called the fast track practitioner program so i applied for that and i got that so that was my first paid apprenticeship as a strength and conditioning coach so um there's a guy called michael johnson who i'm sure lots of people mm -hmm. know um he's now the snc coach or i think he's now head of medicine and science for british athletics but he was my mentor so i was lucky to bump into a really good guy out the gate and you know he 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 really hammered into me some really good stuff in terms of programming and you know coaching and you know all the sort of stuff that you needed to learn to be a really proficient snc coach so i i did that apprenticeship program then i worked as an snc coach for for welsh athletics um and i did that for four or five years um then because of yeah, it's amazing how it all just sort of goes around a circle. Because we got the 2012 Olympics, they brought in, uh, British Athletics brought in Dan Path, um, Kevin Tyler, all those guys, Stuart McMillan, and they they went down the road of bringing in an apprentice coach program. So then I did my second paid apprenticeship as a as a sprints coach. So, uh, yeah, I did, I did that for a couple of years and learned from some great people, from Kevin, from... Stu from Dan um, and just kind of learn on the job uh, and set up a, a group in Loughborough um, so yeah did that all the way through to the 2012 Olympics and then yeah then built kind of a, you know those guys all left they went they went back to America and then I was kind of like left to sort of stand on my own two feet so to speak so I built my first I guess my first generation group in Loughborough which you know, had um yeah, Richard Buck, four hundred meters, um, then James Dasolu, mm -hmm. uh, we ran nine ninety one, and all hell broke loose after that. I guess I mean that was kind of the big, yeah, that that happened, and it was great, and it kind of opened the doors to sort of establish myself as a, a hundred meter coach, um, and then we, you know, next year after that we re we brought in Adam Jamili to join the group um, and had obviously straight out of the gate, we had great success with him, European champion. James won the 100 meters Europeans. Adam won the 200 meters. Adam also, you know, won that silver and Commonwealth Games in 100 meters. So we were off, we were up and running, so to speak, with that Loughborough group. Um, also, you know, took on Asha Phillip joined at that point and then Johnny Peacock joined and so we had we had a really small group in Loughborough you know it was like five or six people it was it was really small and we were based in in, in sort of the National Performance Institute for British Athletics so we had access to you know really good sports scientists and sports medicine so at that stage in my career the coaching was definitely a bit different because it wasn't a huge group and it wasn't um you know, we were already surrounded by people that could really help us, so that that was great. Um, so I kind of played that Loughborough group all the way out to the Rio Olympics, the 2016 Olympics, and then I got to that point and I thought to myself, yeah, like I've been in Loughborough for seven years now. Um, I really want to, just wanted a change, change of environment. Um, so then I moved to London and, and kind of built maybe the, the 
another group um which um yeah that, and we, we came down and we we took on some two two younger athletes OJ de Boron who ran 1003 not 1004 um Imani Latsko who ran 11.09 she's now going on to run sub 11 with uh with another coach um Asha retained and she moved with us um I had a, a year or two coaching Majinga Kambuji. She joined as well. Um, and then that was kind of, yeah, I would say that was my second group. And then since then, I've kind of built a third group. You know, it's kind of moved on a little bit. And um, I guess we, 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 it's kind of different. You know, I'm in London, so we, we've enlarged the group. I think this year we've got 25 people. Um, Last year we had, yeah, we had a ton of a ton of success with with people that sort of came in and and we've really developed. It's the first time I kind of I've, I've taken in people that are not already established and not already like at the top level. Um, so Eugene Amodadi was somebody that kind of joined a couple of years ago, and we've sort of, you know, he's gone from basically running <laughs> running ten five to running nine ninety three. Um, last year as well, we had um, Adesai Ogunlele. He's from Nigeria, and he he ran ten oh three. Um, Felix Strang came from Germany, and he won the Paralympics uh, in his first year with us in the hundred meters. And he continues to be there, and yeah, we kind of just keep on going, you know. <laughs> just kind of, I, I feel like this is the sort of third really a strong group that I've built, so. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of been a journey. So yeah, London's a bit different from Loughborough. We we don't have access. We've had to build our own team. You know, we've had to build our own medical team, our own science team. I've got some great people around me. Jermaine and Olison, who used to be an international long jumper, he was coached by Dan initially uh, a long time ago. Then he's kind of retired. He's gone into rugby. Then he's gone into SNC, and he's he's kind of he leads up our physical preparation side and he's great at what he does. Um, Rob Hill is an osteopath that's been in and around British athletics and then kind of moved on and kind of works with us now. So we, we have a really, really strong team of us, which is, which was, which is good for me to do. Cause when I work for British athletics, like everything's given to you and you kind of, you have it all on tap, but you know, down here we've had to basically establish it ourselves and run it ourselves and, yeah, it's it's been a really good experience. So that's currently where we're at right now. We're sitting here just getting started with, you know, the twenty twenty four season. I would say and putting together our systems and our teams. <laughs> We've got a couple of new athletes, which which is exciting, which is good. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now. It must be very fulfilling to know that number one at this point. Yet yeah, you've done your own kind of creation of let's say your surrounding team and seeing the results plus some of the the maybe athletes you have now you've taken from pretty much the ground up like eugene included like does that does the success feel sweeter now that you know like i don't want to say i built this but you know a lot of this is is very much something that you you created through your coaching and through your organization yeah i i mean coaching is so um it's it's such a uh, um, unpredictable space, um, and there's so many things that can go wrong and can go right. 
Um, and there's, you know, you, I've, I've listed about 15 years of coaching there and there's athletes that have come in, we've got good results with, and then they've, you know, they've stayed or we've had athletes come in, got good results, and then they've left. And that's coaching and that's what happens. I think over that period of time, you, you do start to sort of like go, um, you know, your confidence every time, you know, like you get a really good result with somebody and then they leave or whatever, it kind of knocks you a little bit. But I think with, yeah, you, the Eugene situation was, it, it, as a coach, for me, it was a real, it was a real like, yeah, this really works. Like you've, t you, you've got this guy started at ground zero <laughs> and you, you know, in three, you know, two and a half years or three years, he's gone from A to B and it worked. It really like it works. So our systems work, um, our approach works and it just kind of reaffirmed everything. I think before it was like, we recruited a lot of people that were, were, were already good and we were still able to make them better. But there's always this thing in the back of your mind. Sometimes you go, yeah, like that's person's just talented, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> talented. So yeah, look, that one was a big, that was a big change for me. And it, it kind of, sort of reinforced to me the things that we were doing right and the things that we needed to double down on and 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 um yeah it, it gives you uh a real sort of you know even though i've been doing this 15 years like you, you start off every year you don't really know where it's going um and there's always a bit like are we actually going to get a result here are we just going to make this person better there's always some problems to fix there's always some stuff to you know but i think with my experience last year was, well, yeah, okay, like, you know, whatever comes to us, whether it's old beat-up athletes or whether it's, like, new, younger athletes or whether it's, like, somebody who just hasn't done the sport before, we're still able to get a result. And I think being able to do it with all those different types of population is, is kind of just, it doubles down and goes, yeah, okay, like, you know, we're doing we're doing the right things. So, yeah, that's definitely been something that's happened over the last 12 months. Yeah, I can completely see why. Um, and and you you kind of talked about there like the systems that you've put in place and and that it's working. Um, I want to segue into that and and have a discussion on exactly, you know, what those things entail. And one of them is, of course, the likes of your approach to speed training, whether it be acceleration and or max velocity in the winter time. Um. Tell us a little bit about like, I suppose, like your priorities and methods as far as like acceleration is concerned, because I noticed that, you know, through your content on Instagram, which is very informative, like there's there's plenty of variety. And I can see among the athletes that you work with, they're not all doing the same thing. Right. So one guy has this like nice forward horizontal projection angle. But then in the same session, I see someone who's standing up a little bit taller and it makes me think you know, what's going on here? Like, what are the considerations at hand? So I'd love, I'm sure you could, uh, you could tell me all about them. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good point you raised because look, everybody put, everybody that's put in front of you is going to be, they, they all, they're all going to have their unique movement signature, you know, like their way of doing things. And, um, like I, as a coach, there's obviously stuff that you want to see, but you, essentially your job is to make this person as smooth as possible. Right. Like, you, like and I say to myself right I want to make this person smooth and I also just want them to get to move from the right places in their body so that 
you know, things are efficient, right? So, like, I think in track and field and people that kind of look from the outside in, you know, everybody's perception of acceleration is it needs to be quick. Um, uh, yeah, like the person that gets out, the, the you know, it is the is is the person that has great acceleration, and that's not that's not essentially what the event is. The event is to move down the track for forty five steps efficiently, right? You know, that's the event, and I think there's a big misconception of getting out to be this thing that kind of signifies that you've got a good start. So, you know, when I look at people and the way that they move and the different things they do, it it's not about getting everybody to do the same thing it's about teaching them to be smooth it's about teaching them to have rhythm in their acceleration um and and basically be in control because it's a very on the acceleration space is a very uncontrolled space you know like you're having to go from like a dead stop an isometric dead stop which is really hard place to get out of and you then need to find a way to get a lot of your body weight in front of yourself and not have this sort of inability to go, yeah, okay, I can't cope with this, and I'm going to find a way to 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 give myself a way out, so to speak. And there's lots, you know, that's essentially one of the biggest things you see with 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 lots of people with, you know, trying to get out of that really difficult position, trying to get over the first couple of steps. And what you see a lot of time is people just get out the first couple of steps, and they use them as controlling steps and going okay i can't cope with this i will you know fall onto flat feet i will find a way to bring my shoulders back to give me a sense of that yeah i'm okay and then they'll start and have to re-accelerate again mm-hmm. so, you know it's it, essentially you know we we believe in having the rhythm to what you're doing we believe in having a consistency to your your forward projection through space um believe in having control um in a very uncontrolled space um and however that looks with different individuals it might look slightly different but essentially you're trying to get that person through that zone you know in control being efficient they've not lost their posture they've not lost too much energy and they're able to then continue with the rest of the race you know yeah no that that makes sense because I've experienced this, you know, I'm not a sprinter, but you know, when you mess up an acceleration in the sense that like, there's this rush transition, or as you said, you'll fall on flat feet. Um, That's kind of those braking forces kicking in. So what I'm hearing you say is that you're trying to, I suppose, express maybe as much projection that can be handled without that being those kind of steps kicking in or those postures kicking in. Yeah, it's it's so difficult to articulate, but you know, essentially every athlete will have a point where they have to project, and then they'll mm-hmm. have a point where they have to transit, and then they'll have a point where they have to land, and then they've got to repeat that whole process again. Now, some athletes, you, you're you're basically looking at those three segments, and you're looking at every athlete and going, okay, some athletes might come and they might project too much, so they have too much extension, mm-hmm. and then they're not ready to to transit and they're not ready to land so you just try to you try to get a balance between those three areas right mm-hmm. and every you know, other athletes might not project enough and they might not transit enough and then they might you know they 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 might not have enough ability to to move across the racetrack so it's about sort of like getting 
some sort of coherency between those three segments. You know, can you can you leave the ground? Can you travel across the ground? And can you land on the ground? <laughs> and you, you you've got to have some coherence to make that happen on every single step. And what you sometimes see with especially leaving from that dead stop isometric position is is you know like let's say for example two really good projections but not enough of attention paid to organizing yourself through the air to land it appropriately um you know that's something that's very very common is mm -hmm. you just see um, an inability to kind of um organize themselves and understand that the event isn't just about getting from that dead stop over the first couple of steps and then just running it isn't about that it needs to be way more like that this first couple of steps needs to be a process of a continuation of your effort down the wrist track it can't just be like project deal with it in a very inappropriate way then move move forward after that so mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very common. Even again, I'll reference my own little habits that you, you know, you project really well, but then ultimately something happens. Then after about five meters, you can kind of see that that momentum isn't being built anymore. You don't feel the climb kind of being done smoothly, if you will. Um, so I guess if you're talking about reorganization or getting that to happen better, is like airtime something you play with or or maybe even just getting them to focus a little bit more on frequency if they're over projecting like how do you maybe influence a case like that um yeah it's a case by case basis but let's let's say for example um you you have somebody who like my biggest thing is you know like you, you've got your chest and you've got your hips and then you've got your legs so you've got three points. So when I stand on the side of the track, it's like, okay, I've got three sections that I want to move, all move at the same time, um, and all leave at the appropriate time and move together at the same time and just look for some sort of coherency between those three sections. Because what you might see is you might see somebody will, um, okay, their chest goes, but their hips don't. So you, all of a sudden you've got this gap. And when when you create width between those three sections, that's when people can't control themselves because you, you, you've got into a place of being too long and all of a sudden, yeah, quite rightly, your body goes, okay, I can't cope with this. And that's that's where you see a breakdown in posture. So yeah, when I stand inside the track, it's kind of figuring out what piece isn't moving. Um, and what piece is actually, you know, kind of stopping this sort of consistency in moving forward. And uh, yeah, first couple of steps are really, really hard to get right. Um, but then what I often see is people get, they come out first couple of steps and then they get lost in this zone, like steps three, steps four, steps five, where they're not organizing, especially not taking their hips along with them. Um, you know, and they get into this situation where they're basically falling over because their chest is out in front and then they've, they're over projecting. So they're, you know, they're too much extension. And all of a sudden this bit in the middle hasn't, it doesn't know where to go and it needs to keep going. Right. So, you know, you see people just getting too, um, too strong out. So they, they then find ways of dealing with that, which kind of basically just stops progress. Right. So.
Mm, yeah, no, that I mean, that's that's really well done in terms of like, I can see that like in the beginning, I can picture that kind of misfire or, or rather the lack of like kind of, how would I say, um, communication or or they're not really sequencing it like all together or working all together. That, that kind of creates the problems there thereafter. Is that that's kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, and look, often in sprinting, um, especially in those first couple of steps, you know, people find it really difficult to 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 move from that middle part of their body, and they they kind of use their extremities a lot to to gain a projection. So you know, they they overuse, dis, they, you know, distally, but down underneath the knee, you know, too much ankle, trying to stay on the track, push there because they're not able to push from their hips. Um, or that you know they might do a similar thing with with arm drive and shoulder that might end up being the thing that they're trying to get their projection with um you know and all these sort of things you look at just standing on the side of the track pointing these things out when you see them and you know trying to do that for for 30 weeks in a row and just ironing everything out you know um and it, it's it's just really like case by case like you know, they do the rep, you see that certain thing, you ask them to try something different, explore a different way of doing things and seeing if it can, your cues and your connection with the athlete can somehow find a way to solve this puzzle, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it it really is is that. It's a difficult process because sometimes you'll say too much, sometimes you use the wrong cues, sometimes you'll engage with people and their brains won't, it'll be too much to handle. So it's, it's really is an art of teaching as well. Um, the acceleration stuff. And then, you know, I know that we're going to get into this, but it's, it's really important that you, you know, as a teacher, you, you set your curriculum throughout the, the years so that you start with things that are quite easy for them to do that are quite easy, you know, in terms of the stances that they go from in terms of the things that you're asking them to do, and you build this like syllabus of, of teaching skills. So at this time of year where we're at right now, we're not obviously doing four points and we're not going from the pedals and we're, we're not doing any of that. You know, we're essentially doing a lot of things that are going to, it's like learning a language. You've got to learn the, uh, you've got to learn the words, you've got to learn the sentences, then you've got to, you know, earn your right to put that together in some sort of coherent story. Right. So like you, you know, right now we're learning the words, you know, we're, we're learning things like learning to drop the shin. We're learning things like, um, learning to, 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 to get, to, to get low in your stance to start instead of some people, you know, like people don't get low enough. And then what they do to initiate the movement is they go low. And then the first thing they're going to do is go up to respond to that. So mm-hmm. teaching them that they have to get low to set their stance so that the, the movement from zero is, basically from back middle to front so mm-hmm. we do a lot of teaching of that um we do a lot of teaching with um yeah the shit the, sh- the shin is the thing getting that to tip appropriately you know that that for me is 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 something that is uh, in terms of this coherency of movement is the shin is the first thing that tips and then the hips and the chest they all kind of need to follow the projection angle that that the shin has set so you know right now we're just dialing down into those basics that's the first port of call for us is to learn all these skill sets and perhaps in isolation and perhaps in environments that are kind of 
emphasizing and giving them a chance to really understand this. Um, and then once we've got that sort of like key, you know, key elements, you know, like organized, um, it's then it's then fast tracking them through the positions, you know. So you, you, you just say to yourself, right, look, we can go from a standing stance, which is relatively easy. I mean, the easiest one is to do a rolling in start where you've got momentum and you don't have such an emphasis on projection. But, you know, I like to start them in their standing stance. And then I just say to myself, right, let's just make this harder by by adding in different stances. So, you know, we we go from um, a standing stance and then we we sometimes use the uh, the Swiss ball to get them to sit on it and to tip and project from the Swiss ball because that's, that's like a middle ground from going from standing to, to going on the ground. Um, we like to use a half-kneel stance. We, we get a lot of success with a half-kneel stance. Um, and that's... That's a really important one because the athlete's already set, set in quite a low position. So they, they can't do that thing of going low to get out. Um, so the, 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 they have to go from a half kneeling isometric dead stop and they then need to figure out how to go from back to middle to front in that order. And it really, it really, it really teaches that skill set, which I think is super important. Um, and then once we've got them good on, on those sort of things, then... Then we look at um, taking them to the ground, you know, doing a, doing three points and four points, and you know, not with, not with the pedals at this stage, but you know, like getting them to 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 learn how to to do those things from those positions, which are really difficult, you know, like it's 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 not a natural um, thing to be able to move from that sort of really crunched up position with with no momentum. It's hard to do, and it's hard to do appropriately. And what our, if we've done our job correctly, at that point, they just start to take what they've learned about how to move from back, middle, front, how to drop the shin and then get the hip to follow and the chest to follow. And hopefully at that stage, if we've done our jobs correctly, they won't, they won't do all sorts of rush movements to get out of that point. And I think that's where a lot of people, they rush to those sort of things really quickly without teaching the basics. And then all of a sudden you get these really rushed starts, really people not being able to actually take their time to, to fully, you know, go, go appropriately from, from the back to the middle, to the front, to get out of the zero point. So yeah. And then, then essentially once only at that stage is, is when I bring, you know, and this is a big topic of debate and lots of people are got opinions on it, but only then do I bring in things like sled and res some form of resistance because I don't want to add the resistance in until they've taught, been taught the skill sets and still look, until they can coherently display those skill sets, you know, and then at that point, I'm quite comfortable. Okay, we can bring some resistance into that, which which brings up a whole new learning space for them, which is great. We bring in the pedals. We start with one pedal. We go to two pedals. Um, and eventually, you know, we, we, we go to competitive starts right at the end of that journey. <laughs> we don't bring it. We're not interested in, in doing that too soon. We only when they've learned, you know, they've gone through this whole process and and I'm comfortable that they've got it and they're going to take their time and they're going to be composed and they're going to they're going to set things up appropriately. It's probably safe to say that skill is the priority for your winter training. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, it, it's the priority. It, there's obviously lots of other things going on to support that. 
uh, process. But uh, yeah, look, the hundred meter race, you know, is is a skill event, right? It's it, people just. I, I, I think it's one of those sports where people assume because it's a speed event or whatever they they don't seem to understand that it. it is like a skill event more than anything else you know it really is so you know that's it the core of what we do and obviously you need to get fit and you need to you know be fit enough to display good movement and and everything else but you know essentially everything that we were, we're trying to do is based on their ability to display these skill sets and my job as a coach is, is is to make sure all the movement part moving parts around, you know, in terms of the, the amount of running they're doing and the fitness work that we're doing on the side and the, the gym stuff and everything else is just appropriate enough so that, that skill development keeps on progressing. You know, like when that doesn't progress, you know, you're in you're obviously doing too much in our other areas and it's it's all you know, it's it's about getting that jigsaw to, to work together, you know. Absolutely. And just kind of before we move on to those kind of more physical capacities and stuff that supports the skill, um, you're someone who who kind of uses the likes of acceleration ladders and things like that. It was that kind of something that you picked up from Vince Anderson. And is it more to enhance that those things like you mentioned, rhythm, rhythm being, you know, kind of a, a facet of, of smoothness, if you will? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I spent the first five or six years without coming across Vince Ancest and stuff. Okay. I knew of him and, and I'd been to a lecture that he did in like 2010 and, you know, I, I didn't really use that stuff until about 2016, but I, when I, when I saw it, I connected with it and realized this is really good. These are really good teaching tools. Um, and it kind of, it kind of was what we were doing. We just didn't have a structure to it, you know, like, um so yeah we use um you know in our general preparation we have we have four technical units monday tuesday thursday friday and two of those are acceleration from the crouch position you know like um and then we have two other days where we're accelerating from the upright position um so we use the acceleration ladder on mondays and thursdays um now look we place it down. It's not like we're going to be rigid with it. And it's not like, you know, we're, we're absolutely, you know, critical about meeting those marks. It just gives me a really good, I can stand on the side of the track and I can watch people run down and you just know when they display a lack of rhythm, right. Or they, they, they become too frequent too soon. Um, and, you know, so we use that as, just it's on the side of the track it doesn't mean we're using it every day but it's just there as a guide for us and then on tuesdays we do we do upright we do acceleration from an upright position which i think is really really important you know so again like if you're going to accelerate four times a week you can't be doing four from the crouch position it's just ridiculous and you're not going to be able to sustain it so we we do accelerations where I absolutely do not want them to, to bend over and turn it into another acceleration of, you know, a down position. So we do upright accelerations over transition cones or wickets as, as everybody calls them. And, um, yeah, we start that process off. And then on Friday, we, we start off with transition cones and we eventually move that into more of, a an upright, um, 
situation, you know, by basically allowing more of a run up, you know. So we we eventually the, the cones move the first cone moves further down the track, which means you've got more speed, which means you can then cover have bigger distances between your cones and we manipulate that in certain ways. And then eventually we do things like the over we use the overspeed eventually on, on the end of that journey. Um and you know, basically take that to a certain point where we, we use it as 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 upright sprinting practice, which you can't do straight away. You can't do off the bat. You've got to build the skill sets again. And, you know, it's that big elongated process of taking them to that point. But essentially, that's where that journey sort of takes us to. So, yeah, we accelerate in different forms and various guises four times a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a perfect kind of bleed into um the kind of balancing act of of designing a training week if you will so you've got four days of kind of rather specific work are they all accompanied by some form of of strength training or some of them kind of more coordinative work or or general strength um plus do then some of those days uh are supported with tempo running or those on separate days like i suppose uh yeah give me a rundown of how that's all kind of married with the other training components yeah, look, we have we have four technical days, um, four technical units as described, two accelerations, one transition, one upright. And on each day we we also have, we run tempo every day. So we do our technical stuff, we run tempo and we do gym and we do therapy. So you you know, we're basically in, in one day we're we're doing technical, physiology, strength and power and therapy, and we're trying to we're trying to do that. Um, each day and essentially our tempos will run on a system of um, I kind of have the physiology stuff mapped out in my head that I have I have a medium pro I have a short program designed for people that are like 60 100 meter types I have a medium program which is designed for 100 200 type athletes and I've got a longer program for you know 200 400 type people and yeah, those four physiology units throughout the week are basically um, split onto a hierarchy of fast, second fastest, third fastest, fourth fastest. And I, I really try to um, have a form of two longer ones, two longer tempos, which will be Tuesday and Friday. And then I have one short tempo day, which is normally on the Monday. And then Thursday, which is our slowest one, it can be whatever that person needs to develop their 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 slower type running so yeah we have we have four tempos that are all at varying speeds um and all at varying distances um and i think that's really important you know what's um you don't want people coming in four times a week and running you've got to find a way to separate out the intensities and you've got to find a way to separate out the surface you're running on you've got to find a way to separate out distances that they're going to do and you 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 know what, what i try to do is have some variation across the training week we run one session at the moment on grass we run one on the trail uh we won you know we do one on the track and we do one short on the track and one long on the track we just have loads of variation um and we try to you know i'm you know i sit at the start of the week and go right session one 78 session two you know 65 percent 57 whatever and I, I i really have learned over my career is that you've got to be disciplined with that stuff you've got to keep 
some form of gap between your running speeds. You've got to keep some sort of gap between the types of, you know, it, it can't all just merge into the one thing and you've got to be super controlled of it. Um, and yeah, have a, you, you've got to challenge the people. You've got to pick the workouts that are appropriate and use all those factors to, to manage that and make good decisions. Um, but essentially you, you, you've got to find a way to, to build consistency with that, but that stuff can't take over. So um, you, you build consistency, you push them as much as you can each day, but you don't kill them. You don't absolutely smash them. You don't, you don't bury them because they've still got to learn their event, you know, as, as the week progresses. And, you know, um, I think the art of it is, 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 is just balancing out all these sort of jigsaw pieces. You know, you've got your technical stuff, you've got your physiology running, you've got your gym, you've got your therapy, and you've got to try and just get the right amount of each of those things to keep them learning and progressing in each of those areas. And you don't ever really want one of those things to become too much and too demanding and, and take over, you know? Mm-hmm. You, you brought an interesting perspective to Instagram when talking about this kind of before, and that was like, a, I'm going to quote you if you don't mind. Um, mm-hmm. Your increased fitness, improved technique, and improved athleticism allow you to soak up the event-specific work more efficiently, recover faster from it, and be able to do more of it. Um, I know that kind of speaks for itself, but just briefly touch on exactly what you're what you mean by that and kind of where you learn that over time. Yeah, I think, uh, so, <laughs> like, I'm just, I, I spend my time basically trying to to not ramble in lectures, so if I do that, then apologies. <laughs> but one, one of the things that's very obvious to me, and maybe because I didn't come from track and field, but it's like, it's really simple in my eyes. You will get quicker over the 100 meters by running at event-specific speed, Okay. So that's the thing that's going to make you quicker or faster or whatever you want to say. And I think doing that appropriately and progressing that stream, that one journey is the thing that you absolutely need to get right. And then everything else that we've described is a support to that. Um, And I think there's a misconception or I think some people believe that if they get fast at slower tempo running, it's going to give them the the automatic ability to run fast over their event. And it does for some people. But in my experience, it's it's doing doing your event, practicing your event at specific velocities, which will make you run the event quicker. And all these other supporting activities, gym tempo run and all the rest of it will allow you to essentially practice your event more and soak that up more, which is what will make you run faster and not by focusing in on the supporting elements and making them very good. doesn't give you the automatic right to, 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 to progress in, in your event. You've got to do the event specific work. That's, that's been my experience. Um, and, I think lots of people emphasize a lot of those supporting elements. If I get really strong in the gym, for example, it's going to mean X, I'm going to run this time. No, it's not because you haven't learned how to do your event. You know, like if, if I get extremely fit at doing five, two hundreds off four minutes, 
that means that I'm, you know, like for, for you know, the, the more the event becomes like towards the 400 meters, then absolutely, yes, it does. But when we're talking about the 100 meters, yeah, it it, it doesn't matter how fit you are over those longer tempos, right? It, it It's good and it's positive that you can do that and display that, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to run at 12.5 meters per second, right? Or, you know, a left you know 11.8 or 11.6 meters per second if you're not bolt so you know it it's just on you know i have a very clear sort of line in my head about what matters and what what is good but doesn't necessarily make mean that you're going to run faster over the event yeah i think there's kind of two like two streams of thought that you've mentioned within this conversation that are really really important and i think we kind of get lost in the coaching community um two that i think complement um statements from dan paff in the past and i just touch on them is that like the amount of force you can produce really he didn't say this per like exactly these words but the amount of force you can produce um is is not useless but it's almost useless if it's not done in the appropriate way like in the in the right direction in the right position if you will like you're not going to obviously improve athletic performance and another thing like that kind of goes back to your earlier um statements about like you know teaching skill in, in sprinting is that we we often try to get and this is something else has put out yesterday and I, I think it's so true that we always try to take like what the elite performers are doing and kind of paste it on to let's say some of the more developmental athletes without context behind like why that athlete was able to do it that way if that makes sense mm-hmm. um like you know classic is you know asafa powell's like very low horizontal um powerful start but obviously you can't you know apply that to a 12-0 runner um that's just you know maybe some of it is is desirable like some low heel recovery or what have you but it's very relative right and um the individual differences matter a lot in in assigning uh your acceleration cues and and models and so forth um so i think that's like two really important kind of take-homes for for a lot of coaches is is as you say um not looking at isolated training components and saying that that's going to like drive athletic performance if it's not assigned alongside very very high levels of skill and also like you know taking those uh those you know models of of elite performers um and looking way outside of who you've got in front of you to kind of prescribe your training also look it's uh like the the really conflicting battle you have as a coach is the event doesn't change and it is set in stone you know what you've got to do and we see lots of high performance doing that so we all have an idea of what we would like event you know what we'd like to do and what we think is important and there we also have and we have a responsibility to prepare people to run the event and then on the other side we have this individual differences thing and those things are like it's a constant battle it's like there's things I know that I would like to do. There's things I know that are important and we've got to get as close as that as possible to make this person competitive over their event. But there's also this individual here who's got all sorts of, you know, what's their history of training? What's their current injury status? What's their current immune system status? You know, what's their pace of learning that we can we can drive this person on at? You know, like where's their therapy system at? Where's their you know, their gym at, and you're always like, 
of course there's things that we want to do. The course there's things that we'd like our athletes to display. But a job of a coach is to sit in the middle of that argument and like just go like, okay, yeah, I need to do these things, but I've got this person here who's displaying these characteristics and I've got to find a way to bridge some gaps and pace them appropriately and bring them on, which is in a way which is going to be sensible for them, but also prepare them for their event. And it's so difficult. It's really tough. It's not easy. Well, it doesn't sound appealing because it it, it to many people sounds like well, we're never going to get there and, and we need to. And, you know, there's all these other external things pulling on why we need to get there. And, um, you know, we kind of also recognize that perhaps the there are certain methods out there that might accelerate that process. Like if we just got to speed training earlier, well, we might, uh, you know, get in better shape earlier for that whatever indoor race. And that indoor race is going to mean that I'm going to get funding or, you know what I mean? Like there's always these things that could potentially take us out of sight of the the most i suppose as you say complementary approach to what the event um or that individual particularly needs at that time um you know it, it is it i can see how it's a constant battle and it's a complex thing for sure regarding you know strength and power training you you talked about that that kind of happens in four times a week, if if I'm correct in saying that. Um, I'm sure that doesn't look different, or that doesn't look the same every day that you do it. Um, and I've and I've been kind of following the work of Jermaine and mm-hmm. uh, his his I suppose content on your group. There seems to be, you know, I think he actually done a article for simply faster if i'm not mistaken i think david maris interviewed him and he was talking about those kind of coordinative abilities and and how he kind of integrates them that's a interesting discussion and something that i suppose people have gone down different um rabbit holes with if you will like there's of course the classic you know get strong to get fast and then there's i mean someone said before never go full bosch like don't don't you know don't don't go down that rabbit hole to where you're not doing any and and what i see with what jermaine's doing with your group is is a bit of both and in fact i think he even touched on the ratios of how much of that he does with some athletes differs to others um i know you're not necessarily the one prescribing all this but you you know it inside out no doubt and uh so i suppose like yeah, what does that look like? You know, we've got some fascially driven athletes and some muscular driven athletes or um, muscle driven athletes. And uh, does that influence like kind of the the spread of the week? And and I suppose also the rationale for people who don't know, like, why is the coordinative work so complementary to what's happening on the track? Um, yeah, I mean, you should get, you should get your mail on. <laughs> you can talk you through some of the details. Um, like it, it look, there's a couple of really interesting things there. One is like I, I do know the ins and outs of it, but as a head coach who's got a large group of people, and this is important for people that, that are listening to this, is that like the job of the head coach is to direct experts in their field, you know. So I spend a lot of time with Jermaine just basically we 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 meet on on the weekend and we, we, we do an hour call every week and we just literally sit, you know, I'll sit and say, okay, you know, let's say Eugene, for example, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I 
find I'm finding some difficulty with his acceleration. I'm finding some difficulty with his ability to have stride length, which you know was, which is the journey we've gone through with him. You know, can you find a way to make those physical abilities better? Right, you know. So I wouldn't say that we're kind of like he might then sort of say I've got a ratio of fascial fascially. I don't know if he does or he doesn't. You know, but essentially, I just lead it through. This is what I'm seeing on the racetrack. This is the things that are difficult. You know, what's your solution to this? You know, and that's what you do. You you reach out to experts, right? You you do that to your therapy team. You do that to your your physical preparation guys, and you you basically outline them outline the problems that you're seeing, and then ask them to build solutions. Now, I give Jermaine a framework. You know, like essentially, I want. You know, we have five units. We have a recovery session on a Saturday, so like general strength. I think he, I think he, you know, he he does all the sort of Dan Path, pedestal, Waterloo, all that sort of stuff. You know, med balls. You know, general. So that takes care of itself. So then we've got four really important ones, and you know, what I essentially say is like, okay, we have a a system where I go right Mondays and Thursdays are. We call it conditioning and capacity, but essentially anything in that bracket, it could be like conditioning in terms of posterior chain conditioning, rec femme conditioning, calf conditioning, all your basics of all the sort of stuff that need condition, but it's also got a huge coordination element to it as well. So that's where he can drop in any of the movement patterns that he's trying to develop. So I think he does a lot of things, you know, he he developed kind of like our system in terms of acceleration. He, he uses this time of year to build a lot of key movement patterns in terms of, uh, you know, extent extension in one leg, flexion in the other leg, and you know, ability to sort of rotate. You know, like rotate through the spine. He believes in the spinal engine a lot, which I do. You know, like the spinal engine stuff, which is, you know, it's come out with. There's a guy called Gordon Bosworth, which I'm sure you've heard of, and you you know be a really good person to get on your podcast. Like he's mm-hmm. a really good physiotherapist here in the UK, and he did a lot of studying of the spinal engine theory, which was I think was from some Polish guy, maybe something like that. But there's a you know there's a book called the Spinal Engine, but it basically you know Jermaine believes in that. I believe in that. So we we spend a lot of time getting those guys strong in their rotational patterns strong in their abilities to to control their pelvis and use their pelvis appropriately and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, we we believe in that. Uh, yeah, he is a big believer in the Franz Bosch stuff. He uses that as well, you know, in terms of the extension, flexion, reflex, and all those sort of key coordination patterns, ability to switch, all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, like, he's got two units, Mondays and Thursdays, where he can really dial into those movement patterns, those coordination patterns, and the conditioning elements. And then um, we have Tuesdays and Fridays where his remit is force, you know, we call it force in general. So basically, you know, right at the top of really important force, power stuff. So plyometrics, Olympic lifting, you know, deadlift squats, you know, the powerlifting group of stuff, you know, every, you know, and his job isn't to, his job is to figure out the most appropriate way to build those things with the athletes that he has in front of him. So, you know, it could be deadlifts if that person looks like it, it's a suitable exercise, or it could be, you know, it could be plyometrics. It could be, you know, anything that he deems is the most appropriate thing, you know, like we're very conscious of 
it becoming important to improve their ability to be strong and to be powerful and to be plyometric, but we don't want it to be into a situation where it actually impacts their ability to perform sprinting. So, you know, he's he's got very good at finding ways to do that with what he's seen in front of him. Um, you know, and then yeah, essentially the general aspect to that that other day would be we we do a lot of foot conditioning, you know, general, you know, stuff for the core and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, he has four units and he's got those roommates and he, he does an exceptional job. Um, I have to say, and then it's very intensive. You know, we 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 do sit on the weekend and we we talk through. You know, we talk through um, twenty plus athletes and we 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 basically say, look, yeah, like how we, you know, the key thing is to just sort of sit back and and see how people respond. You know, like you know, our conversations are very much like this person's not responding. Like we're not doing something right here. We're either giving them too much volume or we're getting too much intensity or we're, we're doing two hard things from a skill perspective and they're just not getting it. And yeah, how do we get this person to respond? Or the other side of the conversation is, yeah, look, this is going well. This person is responding appropriately. They're showing me that this is heading in the right direction. And, you know, each week we're getting a really positive response Yet there's not too many, in, you know, niggles. There's not too many things coming across on the therapy team, and yeah, we're on the right track. So it's basically just sort of constantly this this sort of moving sort of dynamic between gym and track and finding out how to push the right buttons to keep that person sort of responding to the training process. Mm. Yeah, I love the flexibility in that, and and also like just I'm, I suppose the acknowledgement of like uncertainty slash like constant i suppose you know entertaining that there's always problems to kind of potentially solve or that there's you know uh sometimes when we talk about training it's obviously it seems very fixed and like set in stone but what you're talking about is like you're looking for particular things with the individual and that there's always an a kind of allowance for both changing based on the skill element but then also of course the actual load element as well um and i think that kind of reflects more of the reality of of like what we live in with track and field versus like this master yearly plan that just you know is written oh, yeah. out in september and you know you're you're laughing there probably because you're like it's, it couldn't be further from it like it's complex like it's really complex and we we have all these ways like to push buttons to get to get some form of adaptation and it, it's just learning um you know the right buttons to push and at the appropriate level and 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 figuring out and you know then there's also you throw into that you've actually got a human being in front of you who you know like yeah might might for example have stress from their job or they might have stress from their relationships or they 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 might be, you know, finding it difficult to be around the training group and all that sort of stuff. And you, you really just got to dial into all that. You know, it's like, yeah, like, again, it comes back to this conflict of there's things I would like to do. There's things that I, I think are really, really important. And those things we need to do at appropriate levels and all the rest of it. But there's also this human being here and they're not coping right now. They're not, like, my thing is, is there's 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 you you apply something and then you sit back and you go okay this person's adapting positively this is good 
this person is responding to the, the things that we were giving them. They let their, their system right now is able to cope. And what might happen next is you might continue to do that because you think that you're on a right, but then all of a sudden their system stops coping. And it might be something to, you know, they might have, okay, this person's got stress at work. Now that the things that we thought work don't work. And we've, you know, we've got to find a way to, to, to adapt to that and to pivot to, to, to understand, okay, yeah, like, okay, this person has, you know, got some stress going on. And that means that we probably need to dial down a little bit and just survive this week. And you, you just don't want to get people into holes, right? Like, that's the, the big thing about sitting back and watching what you're doing. It's like, you've got you've got 30 weeks or whatever before they compete and you, you want it to be 30 weeks of consistency. You want it to be 30 weeks of them responding positively. It, it doesn't need to be amazing, but there's got to be some sort of form of like they're, they're soaking up training and they're responding to it and they're inching forward bit by bit. You don't want to get ever into position where, yeah, like you just kill them. You've killed them off. You've, you've, you've raised things up too quickly. They, they're burnt out. They've picked up a niggle because then you're firefighting and it's really difficult and, you know, you just don't ever want to get in that place, you know. So, you know, my one of my things is, yeah, yeah, like, it's like, it's like just sort of cooking, you know, like you don't want to, once you burn it, it's burnt, it's done. Like, it's so hard to rescue that situation. So you're always got to sit back and respond and just stay away from that. Just give the appropriate amount of, of load um, and intensity. Look, intensity is, you know, that's the other thing with, sorry, I'm just rambling on, man. So like, you can cut me off at any time, but intensity is the is the big un, undiagnosed thing that kills people and it's the thing that we just can't see as as coaches because we can sit there and we can go right volume is easy to measure it's super easy to measure it's like okay yeah meters run you know add it up find out where you're at but intensity is the thing that you've got to be completely you know on top of and that's when I when I talk about the tiering system of the physiology workouts, it's like you have to have an understanding of how fast people are running and what that actually means. Um, and it's so hard to, to even understand that, you know, it's like, and the more talented person you have, the more reactive that whole process is, everything is going to happen really quickly because the intensity that they can take themselves to. And, you know, like we just assume that, yeah, that person came in, they ran well today. They did, they did two runs to 80 meters and it was good. Yeah, we're in a good place. That has ramifications that you've got to understand to then adapt the amount of volume appropriately to, to be able to understand, you know, like, yeah, like this is serious. Like this is a big intensity. So like everything I map out in, you know, my planning is, is, is not through the lens of volume and load or, or anything like that. It's through, yeah, how fast is this person running? Like, and what does that mean? And how do I pace that intensity because that's the thing that is really important to keep consistent is to pace your intensity at an appropriate level so that you're not going too quickly and you're you're understanding that progression and that climb up the hill and it's got to be a gradual climb because if it happens too quickly which it can do with very talented people um you can you can quite quickly get into a situation of yeah, injury or burnout or, you know, person's not coping. And then all of a sudden you, you're in a really difficult spot. Mm -hmm. No, all of that's really appropriate, I think, to, to complement some of your earlier points. Um, 
to kind of, I suppose, wind down the conversation somewhat, you're you're someone I've noticed that through your um, posts on Instagram, you love a you love an, an analogy or two to kind of get across <laughs> the sprint positions or or um, concepts that you're trying to communicate to your athletes. You may not have three, but I, I I I don't usually do like a kind of a quirky question at the end of of podcasts like many other hosts do. But I felt like this would be a really good one to ask you. Um, do you have a top three favorite um, analogies <laughs> that you use with uh, and it might reinforce some of the things you believe to be the most important? So, do you have a do you have favorite analogies that just like yes, this summarizes something massive in my I suppose school of thought. Um, I, th- yeah. I said to Jermaine today. I said, "Got a podcast tonight, and the last question is, what's my what's my favorite uh, top three analogies?" And I said to him, "Do I use analogies?" And he's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> he said, "You're quite literal, so I don't actually know." I do use analogies. I do more most of the analogies with with podcast uh, with the Instagram posts. I guess yeah. More than it's not like something I'll do a lot. Um, while coaching yeah while coaching i think the one I, I when i talk about programming the one i do use a lot is like once things are burnt they're burnt like that that's really like like in terms of understanding intensity that's really like that makes a lot of sense to me it's like it's like you're in control of the heat that you apply into the dish that you put in the oven and you've got to find the the right amount of 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 heat stroke intensity to be able to to bring that on in a in a way which is isn't going to burn them out so i think that one in terms of when i talk about programming i use that a lot um the other one that potentially i use a lot would be this idea of of getting somebody to win a championship which is something that um both domestically and internationally the athletes I've coached have done extremely well at. So, you know, like people are always asking me about tapering and I always say, look, taper, tap, tapering for me is a myth. So I don't believe in it, but, I, you know, getting somebody to, to, to peak at a national championships, to get on a team or to get somebody to compete at an international championship is, I always say it's like trying to, trying to land a, a fighter jet in the middle of a storm in a, in, in a, on an aircraft carrier that's moving around, it's so difficult. There's so many moving parts to try and basically get that thing on that day, on that, in the round that you want to get that performance to come out. So like for me that I've always, you know, when I talk about tapering and, and programming, it's just like, I use that one quite a lot. So that's one of my favorites. Mm. Yeah, well, t- I think too, we'll, we'll do enough. And uh, thank you for, for giving me those. Those are brilliant actually. Um, and I think they do speak towards like, well, particularly that last one, like speaks towards the chaos. And from my own personal experience also, I'll say that once it's burnt, it's burnt for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, no, no week off or, you know, subtle alter, all, a kind of alternative way of training is going to rescue that. I actually only learned that um, last year and I, I'm biased to say that I completely agree with you um, from my own personal experience. So, um, Steve, it's been brilliant to, to, to listen to you talk um, really eloquently about, you know, your your training philosophy in terms of how you carry it out weekly and um, what you believe is important for 
you know, the development of your athletes, both from a technical standpoint and physical. Um, yeah, you've got a lot of gold on the internet. So, you, you know, tell us how we can find more of the, more of the analogies and more of the, the, the videos that I, that I was paying close attention to um, for the last number of years, in fact. Um, yeah, I most I mostly use Instagram. I don't use it a lot. Um, people always tell me to do more. Um, but yeah, from time to time I do a post and then every now and again I'll put on the, the some of the technical stuff from from the training that we've done. Um to point out a couple of things. So yeah, I'm on Instagram. I think it's um Fudge, Fudge London Project, which is the name of our our company here in London. So yeah, essentially that's the best place to to, to try and find me and and get some more information. I also, when I had more time and more energy and less of a big group, I was doing a lot of um, blogs. So I, I I think I I set out. I decided yeah I'm going to do some blogs and I, I wrote about ten of them or something like that. So that they're on the internet somewhere as well. So there's some good information on there um, if you want to read a little bit more for sure. Awesome. Um, thanks so much, Steve, for, for coming on. I've, I've really enjoyed this discussion. No worries. All right. Take care, man. All right, folks, that concludes another episode of the Track and Field Performance Podcast. Hope you'd enjoy it. And until next time, take care. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Track and Field Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed it and you'd like to support the show, you can head on over to a podcasting platform of your choosing and leave a review, or you can share it online on social media so that your network of practicing professionals can benefit from listening to the great guests that we get on this show.